Are you ready to experience something extraordinary? Cultural gems in Croatia, ancient temples in Asia, art in Italy. We'll take care of everything. Flights, accommodation, excursions, local guides and all that planning. Travel department, let's see more. Hello, I'm Connor Faulkner and this is Driving Life. Welcome to episode 39, where I meet Brian McNeese, who's both chair of Cricket Ireland and an international rugby official, serving as TMO in the recent Six Nations. We cover the growth of cricket in Ireland from grassroots to test status, and on the rugby side, how he got started as a referee and how the TMO process actually works in the modern game. Before we join him, I'd like to take a moment to say a big thank you to our sponsors, Doro Mobile Phones and Expressway Buses. Two great companies in very different areas. They're very good to support us, so thank you very much. Don't forget to check out earlier episodes and other chats. It's all there on seniortimes.ie or wherever you get your podcasts. So now let's go and meet Brian McNeese. So hello, Brian McNeese. Um, very good to, of you to take the time to sit down and have a chat. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, thanks for coming along this uh, this spring morning. And you're definitely busy. You, you've got multiple hats, and we will talk about each of them. Um, uh, so you're heavily involved in Irish cricket. You're chair of Irish cricket, and I think you were a selector for the national team for years. Um, you've a, a very successful background in business. In the broadest sense, uh, advice to chief executives and C-suite level uh, about running their business and culture, all of that good stuff, and you do that really successfully. Um, and then you might be well known also, or best known perhaps as a rugby referee and now TMO, so the voice from the booth on yeah. critical match decisions. Yeah. Um, just, geez, that's enough for a busy life. Um, what's your background? How did you come to do these things? Uh, so, yeah, I suppose... Uh, Kind of various different accidents of fate, I would say. Um, in in terms of the sporting involvement, that mm. is very much a kind of geographical accident. Um, I, I grew up in Clontarf, right beside uh, Clontarf Rugby and Cricket Club. So right, yeah. for anybody who knows um, kind of uh, the area, the, the rugby and the cricket club are in the same location. So the clubhouse is in the middle, on one side is the cricket pitch, on the other side is the rugby pitch. And uh, um, the family home was was right next door to it. Mm. And so that was my playground when I was a kid. And so that's where my involvement in the two sports And were you ever going to be a star? No. Were you ever going to be an no. a half? Or a... No, no. I, I kind of had, I, I had, I had notions that I was a half-decent player, but I wasn't really when I looked back in it. Uh, um, I, I, I think I was a better referee than I was a, a player and, and, and I wasn't a brilliant referee either. So, How did you first choose to get to, to be a referee or how did that sort of come about? So it was... Tapping on the shoulder and saying... Yeah, kind of. So I had stopped playing. I, I was still playing cricket and I was active in the cricket side of things, but I had stopped playing rugby at a relatively young age. It was kind of early, mm. mid-twenties. Um, and I was away from the game for, for quite a while and um, I was getting conscious that I was, particularly in the winter... I was getting lazy and, yeah. uh, you know, I, I needed to do something. I had a couple of friends who were involved in rugby refereeing um, and they said, you know, give that a go. You, you never know. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, it wasn't really on my radar at all. Um, 
I decided to give it a go mm. and um, found that I really liked it. And there was one guy in particular, a guy called Gordon Black, who um, was also involved in, in, in cricket circles as well. Mm. Um, and he, he was a, a, a kind of the one who probably encouraged me most um, uh, to get started and to, and to give it a go and, um, and help me along the way. And lo and behold, I kind of yeah. got sucked into it through that. You sort of fell upward through the ranks. I fell upward th- through the ranks yeah. again, yeah. And, and you were falling upward through the ranks in Cricket Ireland as well. I mean, how does a, 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 you know, a, a youngster who quite likes playing the game and maybe is a nearly star and maybe not, um, how do you wind up in the administration side of a sport like cricket? Um, I, I, I guess sport in general, but cricket in particular, has been really good to me from a personal point of view. Um, I've made a lot of friends through it. It's been a big part of of my life. And, and, and I suppose as I started to kind of mature a little bit, uh, I, I kind of got that sense that I wanted to contribute back in some way, shape or form. Because, um, as I said, you know, if it wasn't for a lot of the people who had yeah. done that... Um, um, so when what, I started. What were the what were the years then? Because uh, it, it coincided with a real resurgence in Irish cricket. The 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 big the big seminal moment in Irish cricket was in two thousand and seven, St mm. Patrick's Day two thousand and seven, yeah. when Ireland were playing in the World Cup. They beat Pakistan, um, and it put Ireland kind of more firmly on the cricket map, yeah. world map. Um, and to be fair to those that were involved at the time in Cricket Ireland, they jumped on that opportunity and um, have, have grown since. And actually, but um, I, I did a marketing qualification shortly after I started work and I liked the business side of things right. more than the IT side what, of things. What was the first job, actual job? first job was in a company called Vision Consulting as a, an IT consultant working in various different organizations, right. helping implement IT systems. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess I, I, I realized... Uh, that kind of I wanted to pivot out of that and move into more general business stuff. That's why I did the, the marketing qualification, really enjoyed the marketing side of things. Um, the path was we wanted to become a test nation in cricket. Um, the, the limited over format of the game is kind of literally more colourful and it seems kind of more appealing to the non-cricket, maybe cricket fan. Um, what happened in Ireland, do you think? Is the supporter base growing uh, uh, for cricket in that sense? Yeah, it is. It's 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 growing all the time. Um, I think th- th- you know, cricket is one of those sports where it can be very confusing for people who aren't kind of a fan of cricket. So you've got T Twenty cricket, you've got kind of fifty over ODI cricket, you've got Test cricket, um, and and um, for those that haven't really got mm. been introduced to the game, the T Twenty format of the game is probably the most accessible. Yeah, it's faster, it's quicker, it's more exciting, it's it's bish bash. For those who are who are heavily uh, involved in cricket, yes. test cricket is kind of it's still the purest form. Uh, yeah, yeah, it yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It is the ultimate test as far as cricket is concerned in terms of your technique. Um, it's very intense. It's very mm. tactical. It, it it's it's long. It's yeah. difficult. It's uh, it's it is the ultimate test, and that's why it's called test cricket. It's. Uh, uh, and it's great that Ireland are now playing on, on that test stage. Because I mean, it was a very exclusive uh, club, I suppose maybe a bit like the Six Nations, but, but the, the, the test cricket nations really guard their status, don't they? Um, so what did it take for Ireland to qualify to that stage? Well, it was interesting. So there was no real set pa- uh, uh, kind of criteria to become what is, yeah. is, is called a full member, a, a full test playing member within the International Cricket Council. So we had ambition to, 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 to be that, but we had to say to the ICC, well, tell us 
Mm. What is the criteria? What do we need to do? Um, and then we built our strategies around kind of knocking off all the different elements that, that they said yeah. we needed to put in place. So you needed to have a domestic uh, a infrastructure, a first-class infrastructure. In other words, you're playing kind of multiple formats of the game. Uh, you need to be performing at a certain level in the yeah. international stage. You need to, to have um, kind of various different programs in terms of, of, of men's and women's cricket, boys and girls. And, mm. and there's, there's lots of kind of various criteria that were put down. And, e- and each one we kept knocking off and saying, yeah. um, we also have quite a strong kind of commercial footing um, where we're, we're kind of generating reasonable amounts of commercial revenue. Um, and, and again... And um, what we have proven to ICC over a period of time is that we are a kind of genuine cricket nation and have potential for for significant further growth. So I would ask you which is your favourite sport, um, but uh, I, I'm much much more nerdy on the rugby. Yeah. Um, we're a family of Leinster season ticket holders. We you know a bit rugby nuts. So we know you from the TMO point of view. So back on your rugby path, then sort of strand three uh, of the many strands to your life. Um, you got into refereeing shortly after playing. You're quite good at it. You sort of enjoyed it. Um, again, what's the path from there to elite refereeing? How do you fall upwards and find yourself refereeing in a professional game? Yeah, so there's a, so there's a pretty structured pathway um, uh, within the various different rugby countries, and in particular in the IRFU. So the IRFU have a referee pathway where you start refereeing in the kind of um, club game domestically, there are kind of various people who go out and, and, and have a look at you and, yeah. and, and see what potential you have. Um, and then you start to progress through the various different kind of Leinster rugby refereeing sort of kind of uh, 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 grades, if you like. And are, are, are refs being assessed on a sort of a peer review yes. basis? Yeah. yeah. Sponsored by Expressway. With My Expressway, free travel pass holders can reserve their seats online at expressway.ie or at our ticket machines in stations. Are you interested in trying a new smartphone but still a little unsure? Do you want a phone that offers larger icons with louder sound and an interface that has technology designed for seniors? Well, why not choose from the Doro range by simply visiting doro.ie? Doro, make friends with innovation. So, I, I mean, amongst the feedback you get after a game, do sort of opposing team managers, is it sort of part of the format that they do their feedback on a referee, good, bad or indifferent? Yeah, so there's informal feedback that comes yeah. through the channels, through the various different coaches, um, and and then there's more formal feedback in, in terms of the structures that are in place within the various different refereeing kind of organisations provincially. And then there's there, you, you, you then get nominated to a thing called IPAS, which is an interprovincial assessment system, okay. where you start refereeing outside of your province. So you start going from doing Leinster games and doing games in Munster and junior club games right. in, 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 in Munster and Connacht and Ulster. So other people can have a look at you and then they make a decision about whether or not to put you into the All-Ireland League panel. Then you go into the All-Ireland League panel, you start refereeing around the country at the various different divisions in the All-Ireland League. Um, and then there's different grades within that. Yeah. And eventually, you then get an opportunity to uh, uh, participate in some of the European uh, uh, competitions. Yeah. So as a, as a, as so a you are actually proving yourself at every step. You're not getting... Yeah. 
and and there's people making assessments as to kind of whether you're ready for that next step and, yeah, yeah. and providing you with and you can tell a really good referee um, on the pitch I mean e- even when we watch on TV at the professional and international level there's a huge difference made by the um, the referee and you, uh, clearly you don't assess it correctly when your team is playing um, but if you look at a neutral game you were TMO I think for the game between um, it was the, the Georgian referee who was refereeing in the, right. the last European round yeah. was it Osprey Saracen Saracen's Osprey yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I think he's a superb referee yeah. that uh, what's his name again Nika 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 uh, yeah, I, th- I think he's a very, very good referee and the game flows, he communicates well, etc. And there was a controversial, was it a touchdown, was it not a touchdown? Uh, you know, m- micro discussion on yeah. separation. Yeah. Um, and you were TMO. Yeah. Um, and, and perhaps you could have argued the call either way, but what I liked is he, he saw the footage as well and he just made the decision there yeah. and then took it out of your hands. Yeah, yeah. so I think you'll find that the, the, the really strong referees are the ones who are pretty decisive and... and my job as a TMO is not to be the referee, it's to support the referee, it's to provide the referee with the data, with the information yeah. in order for the referee to make the decision and the, and the really good referees aren't afraid of making decisions. Um, and Nick is a great example of that. He's still very young, but he, he, has, he has risen through the ranks. Um, I, uh, you know, myself and Nika came across each other first in Argentina in 2019 in the Junior World Cup. Um, okay. You could see... The, 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 the promise that he had I actually refereed a couple of times in Georgia as well and met him there a few times as well oh, very good um, at the start of this season there was a lot of talk about speeding up the game and you know no huddles before line outs all that sort of stuff um, I'm not sure how well that's worked um, but I tell you one thing that we have to do is, is, is make sure the TMO process is quick Yeah. because um, consider a team like Ireland against France it was essential to Ireland's game plan to keep France moving and um, to get that pack blowing hard, you know, if you're waiting for two minutes while the TMO makes a decision of some sort and that advantage is taken away, it, 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 that's happened a couple of times, I think, over the season. Yeah. What, have you a view on that? Yeah, I do, actually. Um, and I think there's a couple of different dimensions to it. So there's a tactical dimension to yeah. it, which, as you say, players and coaches want um, the game to be kind of, you know, a flow to the game and yeah. they don't want it to be staccato, to be constantly interrupted. And um, we've also got to recognise that it is a, a it's a, it's a um, an entertainment product, and yeah, yeah. we want people coming to the games, enjoying the games, and and again, it can be very frustrating for for fans and TV viewers alike, and um, to have those interruptions in the game. Equally, we've got to preserve the integrity of the game and make yeah, sure yeah. that the right decisions are being made. So, you've got to get that that balance right. And personally, my viewpoint is that the fewer interventions, the better. Well, like if it's a clear touchdown, it doesn't need to be reviewed from different angles. You yeah, know, it's it's just there. Yeah, yeah, and and sometimes sometimes technology helps in some of the games, um, even though they are on TV. So, for example, for your kind of average URC game, the TV setup is very different in terms right. of the number of cameras to the number of cameras you might have available in a Six Nations game. So, for example, I did um, uh, Scotland Wales in the Six Nations, yeah, and there was a touchdown decision that needed to be made. Um, I had multiple camera angles. I had an, a, what's called an EVS operator, but a person sitting beside me yeah. who was able to very quickly offline show me the best angle. I picked that angle. So we only needed to sh- see one replay, saw the ground in, yeah. and we're out of there. And it's much quicker. Whereas sometimes in, in some of the games, we don't have that setup where I have yeah. that resource. 
And so sometimes those decisions can take a little bit longer and it's a bit frustrating for me and for everybody else. It, it needs a bit of control at senior le- at the top level too because um, here's a conspiracy theorist. You know, people will play silly buggers. A French TV producer <laughs> in the Stade de France will, you know, if, he, if he's airing time and time again, you know, the worst angle of a head contact to the hoots and howls, um, and, and th- th- that can influence. So who controls what footage is shown? to TV and to the big screen in the stadium. Yeah. Is, is it the officials team or is it the local TV producer? Yeah, so 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 basically what happens is we're looking for the best possible angles to be able to adjudicate on a particular decision. So yeah. we'll say we want to see, you know, from camera X, camera Y, you know, we, we have a camera plan, for example. So I know for any game that I'm doing, uh, you know, I have the camera plan in front of me. I know where all the cameras are located. Okay. I have a sense as to what the best angle is likely to be to give us the information that we need. Yeah. And I'll ask the director to show me that. And the directors will show that. Um, I know that those conspiracy theorists are there to say, <laughs> well, you know, um, sometimes they kind of close their eyes and don't show or are kind of are showing stuff in favour of a home team or not. Honestly, um, that 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 isn't a conscious decision that is being made. Yeah. Um, uh, 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 and and that said... In, in football, didn't they make a decision not to show controversial um, uh, replays on screens in stadiums? Yeah. So so there was an incident last weekend where there was a very bad injury for a, a player on a clear out on a knee. Uh, but the TV producers were are conscious not to show those replays too often because it people don't want yeah, to yeah, see... Yeah. A bad injury. So there are some times when certain things aren't, aren't, aren't shown. And then there are other t- times where there is something that happens in the game and it's genuinely missed by everybody. Nobody sees mm. it. And subsequently somebody kind of reviews the footage and, and says, oh, hang on a second. There was an yeah. incident there that nobody picked up on. And, and that can happen at times. And can the TMO only do that for foul play or, or is it for pen? Because again, perception. <laughs> there are certain TMOs where you think, Oh my God! Why am I hearing the TMO again? Like they found something else. Um. So when does a TMO come in? Is it the ref missed a knock on, or you know that could have been offside at the rook, uh, or is it just foul play? No. Th- so those kind of very minor technical kind of things, forward passes, knock ons, things like yeah. that. Um. Only when a try has been scored and within two phases of a try can we it's come two in. Phase. Phase. Two phases. Two phases. Yeah. Because yeah. otherwise. As you say, you know, miles back, yeah. the, you'll be involved kind of continually and effectively you're almost refereeing the game from, from, and that's not our role, that's not our job. The other mantra that we operate to is is clear and obvious. The stuff will find yeah. us. If there's something very obvious, yeah. it, it, it'll jump out at us. And you know, there are errors. I mean, James Lowe's try against France was not a try. There was an angle that showed clearly his foot was in touch. Yeah. But actually... Everybody missed that. Maybe there's a French conspiracy theorist, certainly. Yeah, so, so, so exactly. I know people talk about French uh, TV directors. If you were sitting in France that day, you might be saying, you know, Irish TV directors, yeah. as it happens, the TV director is actually an English guy. But like, ah, so, 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 you know, <laughs> so these, these conspiracy theories don't always hold up. But, and, and simply what happened in that case, there's 36 cameras. They reviewed um, uh, the footage on a number of different angles. Mm. All of the angles that they looked at yeah. didn't show any conclusive proof. I was the howling at the proof that it was a trial. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and so, so all of the angles that they looked at, and they, they looked at multiple angles, um, none of them showed conclusively that the foot was on the ground. Subsequently, at halftime, they found um, yeah. one of the other camera angles that they hadn't reviewed um, that that suggested and there it that was. The foot, and there it was, and 
that's a once in a hundred, yeah, yeah, once yeah. in a blue moon type event. So the reality check, I mean, the, 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 you do get justice from the TMO process, and if we can remember rugby matches when it was literally the ref on the fly uh, who had to make a call. Yeah, and it, like inevitably, there were some major calls got badly wrong. Yeah, and and that's what that's what it's really there for. It's to it's to clear up the clear and obvious stuff. If I'm sitting at home, watching the game, and I can tell, no, that that that's that that try shouldn't have been allowed, or that try should be allowed, or yeah. that's clear foul play, then that's the stuff that we we want to be getting. We're not there for the microscopic detail okay. stuff, and um, and and getting that balance. You know, because sometimes coaches will, will, will say, look, we want flow in, in, in the game, but equally we don't want you to miss anything that has an impact, negative impact on us. So, yeah, yeah, there uh, you go. You know, you've got to get the balance right, and it's not always that easy. Uh, and then our referees as a collective sort of represented in councils when we're talking about the development and growth of the game or the commercial side of the game. Yeah, yeah. so actually it's a fairly recent thing, um, but there's a... There's an organisation set up at, at the kind of international level called the International Referees Match of, Match Officials Group, okay. um, and um, I, I I sit on that as the kind of TMO representative, um, but World Rugby are now involving that group in some of the discussions that are happening around the game. There's a lot of discussions happening around the the shape of the game, yeah. the laws of the game. Um, how things operate um, and world and leagues the, Georgia and the Six Nations various, various different discussions in the past the referees didn't have a voice in that discussion now they do um, okay. and I think that can only be a positive thing because we are a key stakeholder in the game the same as um, kind of the multiple other stakeholders who are sitting yeah. around the table having those discussions and determining what the future of the game looks like. And you know it's a complex architecture now isn't it because you have uh, CBC the venture capitalists have a chunk um, and there's a number of distinct assets. There's uh, the Six Nations is an asset in its own right. So you might think sort of and the natural justice of a sporting pyramid should give Georgia a fair chance to replace relegated Italy for a season. Uh, but actually, Italy's a commercial partner in the very lucrative Six Nations. So uh, out of all of that, what, what's the shape of the, the global game, do you think? Yeah, it's interesting because you've got very similar discussions going on in cricket as well. Yeah. You know, there's... there's, there's um, like the Test Nations versus... Correct. The in, in, in rugby, we have this tier one, tier two terminology, yeah. which I don't like. In cricket, we have full member and associate member. And again, it's kind of similar yeah. kind of uh, type language, which I'm not really that fond of. For the for the game to grow, you need a clear pathway and an ability for for countries to develop, um, as as they become more mature within yeah. the game, you know, Ireland from a cricketing point of view, if 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 there was never an opportunity for us to become a full test nation, then what what's well, the motivation for continuing to exactly. grow the game? You know, the, the smallest to team has to be in theory able to win the FA Cup. That's why it's Correct. the FA Cup. You know? And and football, to be fair to FIFA, is yeah. is brilliant at that. So they've mm-hmm. opened up the FIFA World Cup, so that literally every country has a genuine chance of qualifying yeah. for the World Cup. And you've seen and if, you, if you keep winning your games, you'll eventually win. The, you've the, seen the growth of the game as yeah. a consequence of that. So I think rugby and cricket can learn um, lessons out of that. Yeah, you've got to balance the tradition as well within the game, and and um, and and you know cricket and. Rugby particularly is very early still in its kind of mm. maturity as a commercial professional sport. You know, yeah. it's only nineteen ninety five when rugby went professional. So, yeah. and yeah, again, we're in a rugby world cup year, and yeah. and, and you know, the rugby world cup is a fantastic event. Mm. Um, 
and um, and hopefully that will help continue to promote the game and, and encourage kind of uh, some of the countries who aren't currently participating in the Rugby World Cup to see a pathway towards where they they can be part of that yeah. big global stage and and, um, and and ultimately the game continue to kind of grow. But that's the beauty of, of, of sport and international sport in particular, kind of all of those different cultures bringing their own character to yeah. a game and, and people who are involved in sport kind of being exposed to those different cultures through the avenue of sport. That's one of the reasons why I love sport and I love international sport so much. I did I did a game in the autumn um, down in Marseille, France, South Africa, um, uh, and and the and the atmosphere in in that stadium was just that was in the Stade Vélodrome. Uh, yeah. It's stunning. If, if anybody has an opportunity to go, oh, I was there. I was there to see Leinster beaten by La Rochelle yeah. last year, yeah. and uh, uh, disappointing result. Hell of a stadium yeah. and uh, hell of a, that howling French crowd atmosphere is really yeah. hard to replace. Yeah. And, and again, they know their rugby really well. They're oh, really yeah. passionate. Um, yeah, fantastic uh, atmosphere. So are you going to France on duty? Are you going to be... I've, I've, I've no idea. Uh, the, the selection for the for the match official panel is made uh, sometime next month. So okay. we'll, we'll all find out then. Well, one would imagine that everybody's going to be busy. So I, I, I can't imagine they'll uh, um, have no role. For you. Oh, so so there's there's kind of uh, uh, a specific kind of uh, panel or group that we've been working with um, uh, on the World Rugby panel for the last couple of years. Right. And so there's a lot of really, really good match officials. And mm. so they'll pick out of that pool. Um, they're going to take five TMOs to the, to the game. I think there's, to the World Cup, there's um, uh, um, 12 referees, seven additional assistant referees, right. five TMOs. Um, and then siding officers and, and, and a supporting other. team and yes yeah. yeah 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 so they'll make those final final um, uh, selections at some point uh, next month right. but um, there'll be there'll be a good uh, group of match officials irrespective of whether I'm there or not yeah well you're bound to enjoy it one way or the other and tell me this do you do you ever get a stage where you can just set aside being a TMO and how like mad for Ireland <laughs> yeah I do actually tomorrow night I'm going to get that chance so I'm going to the Leinster game tomorrow the Leinster Leicester game tomorrow night I'll catch up with Nika afterwards for a pint but uh, so yeah I'll be I'll be I'll be there as a supporter rather than as a uh, um as a, a kind of technical official. Although I, I do have to say, when I watch rugby now, I watch it with a, an official's eye. Well, you're bound to. I'm yeah, sure. it's inevitable. It's kind of like, a, um, it's difficult. But I still get, I still get worked up, like, you know, watching Ireland win the Grand Slam was fantastic. And I get as excited about every, the game as everybody else does. Very good, very good. Um, well, listen, continued excitement in cricket and in rugby and in, uh, and, and in business. Um, and family is a third thread. You've got yeah. what, uh, three teenage boys. And yes. Yeah. 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 Grown up very fast. Um, and uh, so, so uh, son number one, Charlie finishes college in a couple of weeks' time, which seems to have gone by in a in, <sighs> in a heartbeat. Uh, uh, son number two, Jack, is is uh, uh, in his third year. Uh, he's currently working as a kind of an intern in Teneo. So. Um, that's fantastic, and um, and then Dan is in transition here. So yeah, it's uh, it's 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 busy. Poor old Miriam, my wife, um, kind of surrounded by by four boys in her life, my, kind of the three lads and myself, and so. Uh, um, well, it sounds like uh, it sounds like a fun household. Yes, like yeah, fun yeah, household. yeah, 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 yeah. It can be. Well, listen. Congratulations, Brian, and thanks very much. No, appreciate it. Thank you. So that's Brian McNeese. I hope you enjoyed the chat. Let me know if you have any thoughts on the podcasts. Get in touch on connorfalkman at gmail.com. 
Do remember that you can access the full Driving Life archive of previous episodes at seniortimes.ie. Thanks again to Doro Mobile Phones and to Expressway Buses. And we're done. Drive safely, live happily, and come back and see us again. An will phone poke a newawet, an will knappy no fum nis orjawet, nis eskalehusaj, faker na phone intakata gwin, on show, egg daro, an vone klishte is dani, gidi gohan la hai glina, agus taskina, tarod egen, gogachtina, tanismo olis, egg, daro.com.